things. I remember when I was a kid, and I was in sixth grade, and I got my, uh, I got my first pair of glasses. Now, for me, I'll be honest with you, when I walked out of the doctor's office with those pair of glasses on, I saw leaves on the trees for the first time. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, it changed my world. I was like, people really see like this? Like, I had no idea that it was like, you know, like you could see like that. And um, so I had those glasses on and everything, and then it's, uh, you know, I got those on the weekend and Monday's rolling around. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. They're going to call me four eyes. They're going to call me nerd. They're going to call me, but see, I, I'm going to wear them anyway because it's changed my life. You, you know what I mean? And, but I remember coming home after that first week of school and saying, mom, what do I have to do to get contacts? <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and contacts were kind of new. Like we didn't have the contacts that we have now. So they were like the, the hard or, or, the, or, or the, the medium hard, right? Uh, they were not easy. Like, it's like putting glass in your eyes, literally. Like, so it's not easy. She's like, you really want to try that? I said, oh, yeah. Why? Because I was getting bullied at school. I was being called a nerd. I was being called four eyes, you know. And, and, and that's just, those are just little things to, to what the kids are going through today and some of the things that kids are going through today um, as, as they're, they're, they're being bullied or whatever. And you know what I find is that people just have this horrible desire to be better than others. It's like we can't just all get along. We can't just all fellowship together. It, it, it can't be like that. Everybody's trying to set themselves up. And then on top of that, everybody's got insecurities, right? So you mask your insecurities by tearing down somebody else. See, that's really what's happening. Everybody wants better things. You, you want better clothes or, or, or more money or better vacations or better relationships or religion or respect or, or better peace and quiet. You want all these better things. And so you think that the only way to get that is to put other people down so that you can somehow climb the ladder. But you're really not climbing. You're really not climbing anything. I think what really needs to happen is we've got to learn to have the peace of God in our lives. Listen, I, uh, I, I don't like to get political. I'm not necessarily going to get political, but you guys know what's happening right now with the different candidates and everything. And we've got a candidate out there saying, uh, make America great again. You know what made America great? Let me tell you what it wasn't. It wasn't the fact that we had enough money to get whatever stuff we wanted to get. And the sad thing to me is, is that when we say that phrase today, when we say let's make America great again, it has nothing to do with becoming a God-centered nation as we were once, where we had the peace of God in our lives, that we had peace with each other, and we actually became the peacekeepers of the world because of that. That's not who we are today. Let's make America great again. Let's, well, you know what that means? Let's rebuild the economy so everybody has money so that we can have better things, better stuff, better vacations, and we can relax. It's not going to be better. It's not going to make America great again. We might even have more stuff. But listen, I got news for you. If you think that money or stuff is going to make you happy or bring peace into your life, then you have bought into the lie of the world and, and the American dream, and it's never going to happen. Peace comes from within, not from without. So people try to fill their, their, their peace. If I just had a better car, you know what I really need? I need a house with a sunroom. Because if I, listen, I will have arrived if I get a house, it's got a sunroom, make sure it has a fan in it so that I can look out and I can see the hummingbirds and I can see the trees and I can relax. Then I will have made it. 
See, these are the things that we lie to ourselves about what we need. Listen, some of you guys are like, if I had the, if I had the next video game system, I would be set. Because those dudes that I'm talking to on the microphone, man, they've all got the new one, right? I got to get the new. If I get that, I will be at peace, right? We lie to ourselves, man. That's not what it's all about, is it? You know, um, I was thinking about our church, and many of you guys were praying. You know, there were four different court cases this week over custody of kids, three of which were in our church, right? Um, we've shared tears together over those court cases. God's done uh, amazing things. I, I've got good reports on all fronts, right? Uh, God's done wonderful things through all that. But listen, nevertheless, there are kids that hang in the balance of this thing, right? And what's happened is that the families have gotten in such turmoil. Uh, who I'm not blaming. I'm not putting blame or fault or whatever. I'm just saying the families are in such turmoil that we're trying to have to figure out what we're going to do with the kids and what what's best for the kids. And praise God, God is taking care of that. But nevertheless, it's this turmoil. We're not at peace with each other because we're not at peace with God. And over and over again, we see this struggle. Let me tell you something. Reliant is on a mission. And I want you to be on this mission with me. It's not just about us coming and um, Pastor Bill, feed me and, and, and give me my pick-me-up for the day. Listen, there is a world out there that is in turmoil. And the only answer, I, I was thinking cowbell, but that's not it. The only answer, right? The only, they were playing cowbell today, and I absolutely loved it. The only answer is Jesus. The only answer is the Lord. We have the answer to bring peace into people's lives. Peace with God, which will ultimately give peace with each other. Amen? That's what, that's what this mission is all about. Jesus did everything possible for us to bring this peace to the world. And I want you to be on mission. Listen, first of all, I want you to find that peace for yourselves. I want you to be a poster child for Jesus. I want you to be that person that you said, no matter, no matter what comes my way, nor hell or high water, my Jesus is sufficient to get me through. I want you to be a poster child for Jesus. I want you to give unto the Lord. I want you to give of yourself. I want you to give of your time, talent, and treasure for this mission that Reliant has to, do, to bring peace to this world where there is no peace. Everybody talks about peace, right? Everybody wants peace in the world. Everybody talks about those kind of things. But listen, you've got wars and rumors of wars and everybody's fighting. Nobody's at peace. Nobody's at peace. So how do we get that? How do we find ourselves with, with true peace? You see, the same thing was happening between the Jews and the Gentiles. And I want you to put your thinking caps on. You guys ready to learn something this morning? Listen, I could give you just a little cutesy message if you want, but I think that you're probably going to want to learn something. So if you're taking notes, this would be a good time to take notes. Um, put your thinking caps on and think with me here for a second. I'm going I'm to give you three types of people that you find in the Bible. And basically, these are just the three types of people in the world. Okay, The first one is this, the Jews. You've got the Jews, you've got the Gentiles, and you've got the church. So let's talk about the Jews first. Uh, the Jews are Israelites. Okay? Now, I don't know how much you know about your Bible, but Israel is not necessarily a country. Israel is a man. Right? Uh, Israel was Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. He had 
12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel, which then became a nation. And after they went into um, uh, Egypt and spent 400 years in Egypt, they became a great nation. Okay? That's Israel. So that's one type of people in the, world, in the world. That's God's chosen people. The reason why it's God's chosen people is because God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a people from nothing. If you go back and you read in Genesis, you know what that's really about? It's about the fact that God chose a man, Abraham, that, to which he would bless the entire nations. And it was always about blessing the entire world. Through you, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation where there is no nation. Abraham was 100 years old uh, before he ever had his first son. Okay, a hundred years old. Can you imagine that? Sarah, right? She was past age. God says, I'm going to give you a son. They said, what? Like, like here we are, you know, I'm about to be 47 tomorrow and, and Kim, well, we won't say her age, but listen, we're, we're not trying to have more kids, right? I mean, like, uh, we're kind of enjoying the fact that, you know, the bills are going down, right? People are getting off the payroll, not coming on the payroll, right? So we're okay with that. But here, Abraham, he has his first son when he's 100 years old, okay? Uh, and here's what I want you to understand. It was a miracle. They weren't supposed to have kids. So if you see a Jewish person walking around today, an Israelite, you need to understand that they literally came from nothing. God just brought them into existence where they weren't. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a people who were not a people. I'm going to make them for my namesake. And then I'm going to show the rest of the world who I am through them. So God blessed them. He blessed them with himself. He blessed them with knowledge. He blessed them with understanding. Um, he blessed them with the things that were good for them, the things that were bad for them. He put a sign upon them, which was circumcision. Listen, nobody in the world was being circumcised except for the Israelites. And so uh, that's why they're called the circumcision, right? Everybody else, everybody else was a Gentile and they were called the uncircumcision. We'll read about that in the scripture here in just a moment, right? Um, but what happened was, is that the Israelites began to get haughty or high-minded about their status with God. And instead of blessing the world with the peace of God and, and introducing Jesus or, or introducing God to the rest of the world, they said, no, it's just for us. Everybody else are heathens. Uh, everybody else isn't worthy of this. God chose us, and they became haughty in those things. So let's talk about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are all other nations, right? They were people without God. Uh, they acted like people without God. So that's what a Gentile is. And then you've got one more, and that's the church. Now, the church is interesting because after Jesus died on the cross, he made a new thing. It doesn't matter whether you're an Israelite. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile. It doesn't matter whether you're circumcised or whether you're uncircumcised. God says, my salvation is for everyone. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you become a part of a new thing. That's the church. Listen, we've been talking about unleashing the church. And this is the very thing is that there cannot be that racism that goes on. Because what it does, listen to me, it hinders the gospel. Now, racism can happen in several ways. It can happen through the color of your skin. It can happen through your economic stance, right? Um, it, it can happen by the place that you live and the place that people don't live. Uh, and all these different kinds of things. Listen, you got to get over all of that because the gospel is for everyone. The gospel is for the world. I, I'll be honest with you. As I look around our auditorium and all I see are white people. 
Okay? For the most part. No offense, Terry. <laughs> right? But here, here's what I see. I want, I want all people. We've got all kinds of people who live around here. We need all kinds of color in here. We need all kinds of culture in here. You know why? Because God loves everybody. He loves everybody. Now, God will do that, but here's what we have to do. We have to have an open heart for that. We can't be like the Jews were. We can't be like the Israelites and say, well, it's not good enough for them, or it's too good for them. We've got to come back. We've got to say, wait a minute, this thing is for everybody. That's exactly what happened to the Jews is they became proud. They became prideful. Somehow they thought they were better than everybody else because God had showed them favor and God had showed them blessing. I see that happening in the church today. The last, pastor, the last church that I pastored, before I got there, they, they were out witnessing and they were, they were building a bus ministry, right? Uh, trying to get as many kids to come. And they filled that bus up. Listen, all you really have to have is a couple of suckers, right? You can fill up a bus of kids. And, and they were bringing them to church and they were telling them about Jesus until one of the deacons came over to the bus driver and said, hey, um, these little black kids, they can't be here. Now listen, I'm not talking about 50 years ago. I'm talking about 15 years ago. I'm talking about maybe 20 years ago that he walks up to that bus driver and said, hey, listen, those people are not welcome here. I remember the first time that I baptized a, a, a black kid in, in, in our church. And I had a lady walk up to me with tears in her eyes and she said, Pastor, what a great day at our church. I said, what are you talking about? I, I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? She said, that's the first black person that's ever been baptized in our baptistry. And she was all excited about it. I said, oh, God forbid. God forbid. You see, we, we've got to be a church for all people. Because we have the hope of the world. We have the hope for all the world. We have to share it with all the world. I don't know what those cultures look like, and I don't know all, all the different things that happen with that. Listen, God knows. He can figure all that out. He can figure that out with us. I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you look at the church, and if we're going to unleash the church into the world, here's one of the major things that you've got to grab hold of is that we've got to get over this it's about them and us or, or name-calling or whatever the case. Listen, we can't be little kids out, out, on, the, out on the playground not understanding or, or, or tearing people down just because they're not like us. As a matter of fact, you need to celebrate people who are not like you. Find the good. Experience the things that they have to offer in their culture and, and take those things on as good things. I want us to read the scripture together. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number uh, 11 and thir uh, through 13. Here's what it says. It says, Therefore remember that at one time you gent Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. See, here's the name calling. And here's what would happen. If you remember, um, you, you had the, the people in Jerusalem or the, the Israelites, they wouldn't go to Samaria. You remember that? The, because Samaritans were half-breeds. They, they, they were mixed, Right? 
And so I remember the very first church that I pastored, I asked a question to, to, to the congregation. I said, hey, listen, what happens if we have a mixed couple walk into our, our auditorium? And you know what? Everybody kind of stared at me with deer in their headlights. And they said, well, I don't really know, Pastor. What would we do? I said, we let them in. That's what we do. We let them in. I was absolutely amazed. I had no idea that people even thought like that any longer. But the truth is, it's all around us, isn't it? It's all around us. And listen, we've got to get to the place that if we're going to unleash, we've got to quit the name calling. We've got to quit worrying about where people came from and start worrying about where they're going. Because that's what it's all about. But I love this passage. He says, he says, therefore remember. And I want you to remember the time that somebody introduced Jesus to you. What a gracious thing that God would allow you to hear the gospel. Because I would imagine everybody in here is Gentiles. We're probably not the chosen of God. We're probably not the chosen of Israel. Well, here we are, Gentiles, and yet God says, I want you. Praise the Lord. He says, therefore, remember that one time that you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is uh, made in the, uh, the flesh by hands, remember that you were at the same time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. You see, that's where we find ourselves. Listen, the friends that you're dealing with, the, the co-workers that you're walking around, you need to understand that they are strangers to God. They have no hope in this world. They, they have nothing to count on. As I sit back and I talk to my father and, and in his passing, and we can rejoice, and we can talk about the blessings of heaven, and we can talk about the fact that his faith is about to become sight. Listen, you have to understand, most people don't have that. Most people, they, they get mad at the only thing they know to get mad at, and that's God. Because if anybody could keep it from happening, it could be God. Listen, I'm not even trying to keep it from happening to God. I'm jealous. I mean, for my father, I'm jealous. I want to see what he's about to see. We have hope where others have no hope. He goes on in verse number 13. I love these buts, right? Because he says, but now in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Listen, here's the first point that I want you to grab hold of. You are never too far, from, uh, never too far for the love of God to reach you. You're never too far. I've done a lot of recovery ministry. Uh, some of you guys have been through recovery. Uh, you may or may not tell people that, but I, I know that some of you have. Listen, the blessing is, is that no matter how far you've gotten from God, God is right there. He wants you. He wants to love you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to give you a new life. He wants to give you a new name. He wants to get you to the place that you're starting over again and give you that new life. There's no more name calling. I, I want you to, to notice he, he used two things. He said the circumcision made by the flesh of hands. I don't think I need to explain that. Um, I hope that you guys understand that. Um, what they would do is when, the, when an Israelite boy was eight, years, uh, eight days old, uh, then he would be circumcised in the flesh, right? 
they would cut off the flesh, the foreskin. And the reason why they would do that is God said, I want that to be a sign. But every sign that God does in the Bible is a spiritual sign, right? So although they were doing that in the flesh, he was trying to get them to understand something spiritual. And here's the spiritual thing that he was trying to get them to understand. It's the circumcision that was made without hands. Before I go any farther, though, let me give you an Old Testament example of Moses. Moses said this. He said, Israelites, circumcise your hearts. Right? And what he meant was is that you've got to come to the place that, that you cut away the flesh. And so many times we're so worried about the things of the flesh that we can't get involved with the Spirit. There needs to be that cutting away. Right? And not necessarily the circumcision made with hands. Now, if you were going to become an Israelite in the Old Testament, there was only one way to do that. It didn't matter what your age was. Okay? Uh, Abraham was, was old when he was circumcised. Uh, Ishmael was circumcised when he was 14. That hurts. Right? It would, take, it would take guys out for about three, four days. Okay? Um, but nevertheless, that was the way that you would become an Israelite. That was one of the things that would say, if you're going to take on the promises and covenants of God, you must be circumcised in the flesh. But you see, it was a picture, and it was a picture of the circumcision of the Spirit. In Colossians chapter 2, verse number 11, it says this. It says, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. By putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, uh, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen, the circumcision made without hands is when God says, I will cut off your flesh. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm not going to judge you for that. I'm going to forgive all those things. It's the circumcision made without hands. Listen to me very closely. If you're going to make it into heaven, it's because you've, come, you've entered into Jesus Christ and had that circumcision made without hands, regardless of whether you were circumcised in the flesh. You need to have the flesh cut away that the spirit may live. That's what God has done for you. He said, that's pretty complicated. It's really not that complicated if you think about it. But here's what Jesus said. I'm going to just take care of the flesh for you. I'll take care of it. I will forgive you of all your trespasses so that you and I can have the relationship that we need to have. Now, not only did he say that, let's go back to Ephesians chapter 2. But um, he, he talks about the fact that Jesus covers all of our sin, Right? It doesn't matter whether you're a Jew. It doesn't matter whether you're a Gentile. Romans chapter, six verse, or Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says this. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is not a person that walks around on the face of this planet, whether they be Jew or Gentile, that doesn't need the gospel. That doesn't need Jesus. Now let me give you my second point. Here's the second point. The unity that we find in Christ brings peace to the world around us. Okay? So when you are circumcised in the, in the circumcision without hands, you come into Christ, you come into something bigger than yourself. And what we find is that now we have a mission. And our mission is to take this peace and to take this unity out into others. Ephesians chapter 2, and let's read 14 through 18, it says this. And I want you to notice the word peace as we go through here. It says, for he himself, talking about Christ, he is our peace. 
Where are you trying to get your peace from today? Where does your peace come from? Oh, I need a better job. I need less hours. I need this. I need that. If I could just get on the beach, then maybe I could get some peace, right? Jesus is our peace. Do you realize that Paul found peace in the midst of struggle whenever he's in prison? Singing in a jail cell because his peace was coming from within and not coming from without. He says, for he himself is our peace, who, who made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So with the Jews and the Gentiles, there was some hostility there. Does that sound familiar? Let me put it into some te- context for you today. You see, the Israelites are still fighting in the flesh. They still have hostility. It's with the Muslim people or with the Palestinians, right? Do you realize that all that stuff is, is really the same thing? It's those who have not trusted in Christ. It's those who are still living as Jews and, and the rest of the world being Gentiles. You realize that that hostility has come over to us, right? And why is that? Because Israel is a partner with America or a, um, um, an ally of America, right? And so that's actually come over to us because Muslims, the reason why that the radical Muslims have been bombing us and doing whatever that they've been doing, September 11 is coming up, right? And we're going to remember that time of the most tragic thing that ever happened in America. And you know what they said whenever they bombed those towers? You better think about who you partner with. You know who they were talking about? Israel. That's what this whole thing has been about. Listen, the conflict, the hostility is still going on. And what Jesus says is that, listen, I've taken care of all of that. You don't have to be hostile anymore because everybody's the same and everybody can have the same salvation. And we have that answer. But many of the Israelites, they don't believe that. They don't believe in Jesus so the hostility continues. He goes on in 15, he says that he, they abolished the law of commandments ex- expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, whereby killing the hostility. Here's what Jesus said. I'll just die for all of you. You guys don't need to kill each other. I'll just die. And so he dies for your sin, he dies for their sin, he dies for everybody else's sin, so that we don't have to kill each other in this hostility. He just takes it away. And now our goal is to all become one and come into Christ. Listen, I know these are sometimes, uh, they're hard concepts, and it's not necessarily about three ways to save your marriage, but this is about, this is about ways to save the world, Not so much what's going to bring you peace, what's going to bring peace to the world. Now, here's what we know. We know that when it comes to the entire world, that we're not going to see that peace, are we? We're not going to see all the nations come to peace. Here's where we're going to find it. Individual to individual. I don't have have struggle with with anyone. I'm not hostile towards anyone. I I want people to know the gospel. I don't care where they live. I don't care what they look like. I don't care how much money they have or, do, or, or, or don't have. I want them to know Jesus. That's the mission of our church. That's what this is all about. Verse 17, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, talking about the Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, talking about the Jews. 
He preached to both of them. He said, listen, you can have that peace and you need to be at peace with each other. Verse 18, it says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Listen to me closely. Prosperity does not bring you peace. Prosperity does not bring you peace. Prosperity doesn't stop wars. It funds wars. Listen, you know, when, you know when America has prospered the most? It's when we've been at war with somebody. As a matter of fact, if you really search hard enough, what you're going to find is that sometimes wars are created to help the economy. I'm just telling you. Because, because it funds things. And it, Listen, how many of you guys enjoy the internet? You guys enjoy the internet? I use the internet every single day. Do you know what funds the internet? Pornography. I'm just telling you, check, check me and see, but I'm telling you that pornography is the thing that allows you every single day to get on the internet and check your Facebook. You see, what we don't understand is that prosperity is not always good and prosperity doesn't always bring peace. Some of the ways that prosperity comes, we would never agree with. But yet I'll bet you that you guys are probably going to check your internet or check your Facebook before you even get out of this place. And if you do, please check in at Reliant, right? <laughs> Prosperity doesn't, doesn't solve your peace problem. Prosperity doesn't solve your sin problems either. You know, when we went to Tijuana, do you know why we were able to witness in Tijuana? Is because everybody in Tijuana is trying to cross that border because they have been sold a bill of goods that it's better in America. That it's better in America. You come to America, man, all your problems are solved. You can get a job where you're really starting to make some money. You can make a house for yourself. If you want to get your own business, you can do your own business. You can do whatever you want. If you can just get across that border and just get to America. You know what, do you know what kind of freaked them, those guys out in Tijuana? Is when we came and, and we would say things like, you know, my dad's a drunk. Um, because of my grandfather's drinking, he drove himself off a bridge. See, we, we started to share our testimonies, um, and, and they found out that prosperity is not the cure for alcoholism or addiction, is it? Oh, wait, wait a minute. Prosperity sometimes funds those things, right? Prosperity doesn't stop sexual abuse, does it? See, it doesn't matter whether you live in America or whether you live in Tijuana, because one of the things they were saying is, Pastor Bill, man, you don't understand. Sexual abuse is rampant here. Do you realize that we live in the sex trafficking capital of the world in Atlanta? You see, it doesn't stop sexual, prosperity doesn't stop sexual abuse. That's not what's going to bring peace into people's life. It doesn't stop physical abuse. It doesn't stop or produce love, not real love. Prosperity doesn't do that. Jesus is our peace. Jesus is what's going to bring peace. And you know what the blessing is? Is that we can go to Tijuana and we have the greatest commodity that we could ever have to offer them. And it's not money and it's not sweaters and it's not games for the kids. What it is is the peace of God that passes all understanding. It is Jesus himself. Let's give them the Prince of Peace. We need to be poster childs for God. 
We need to be poster children for, for Jesus and for that peace that comes from within and not from without. But you know what the truth is? The truth is, is that in America, we've also bought into the lie and we're, and we're going so hard after prosperity because we think that prosperity is going to fix our problems. Have you not learned already? Have you not already been down that road? Have you not seen people commit suicide because they have money? Because they get to the end of that road, they have everything that they could ever wish for, and they, and they still find a lack of purpose in their life, and they say, wait a minute, is this it? So all of my life of setting myself up to be prosperous and having anything that I wanted to have, it still doesn't bring me an inner joy. It still doesn't bring peace to my heart. This world must, must be wor not worth living. I just don't think we understand. Jesus brings peace among all people. Jesus brings peace to your soul. Jesus gives you access, listen to me, to the Father. Do you remember us talking last week? Last week we talked about how you're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're at the right hand of the Father. When you speak to the Lord in the mornings or whatever it is that you pray, all you have to do is what? Look to the left. Because Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and the Father is right there. And the Father says, what would I withhold from my children? But listen, I look at the Father and you know what I say to him sometimes in the morning? I need nothing. I don't need anything, Lord. What do you mean? I'm telling you, I don't need anything. Do you know what my greatest need is? Jesus. And God's already given me that. There's nothing this world can do to me. There's nothing that the creditors can do to me. I have Jesus. I have the hope of the world. And so do you, if you've met Christ. Listen, here's my last point for this morning. The peace that we share with others builds the temple of the Lord. Now here's where our mission comes into play. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Listen, that ought to make you jump up and down in your seat. Because there was a time that you were far from God, you didn't know God, you didn't know the promises of God or the ordinance of God or the blessings of God, but now that's not the case. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple of the Lord. In him you also are, building, are, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, here's the blessing, is that you are now fellow citizens of the household of God if you have received Christ as your Savior. So let me break this down for you. It's funny, the way they did it in the Scriptures, they started from the roof and they worked themselves down to the foundation. I'm going to start the other way, right? Here's how we know the house of God. First of all, Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. If you're ever building a house, I know Alan just moved into his house, right? When they laid that foundation, the very first thing that they do is there's a cornerstone. They start at a corner. And it's from that cornerstone that everything is going to be measured. And so they've got to get that thing right. They've got to get it square. It's got to be exactly what it needs to be. Because listen, if it's just a little bit off and you go down 50 feet, it's a lot off by the time you get 50 feet. 
You see, that's exactly what's happened to some of us when it comes to Christianity, is that we started this thing off selfishly. We started it just a little bit off. And now that we've gotten down the road, we find that we're way off. Jesus Christ is that cornerstone. He is the measure. He is the one that we look to for all of the measurements. If you're trying to measure up to somebody, don't try to measure up to me. I'm a false measure. I got problems. I'm trying to stay stay square myself. Listen, don't measure up to me. Measure up to Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And then there's a foundation that's laid. It's the apostles and prophets. And we can talk about that in two ways. We can talk about the people of the apostles and prophets. Those are literal guys. But listen, that's not really what he's saying in the scripture. He's saying that what we're built on are the scriptures. The apostles being the New Testament. The prophets being the Old Testament. You have the word of God that is your sure foundation. It is set for you. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about whether it's secure or not. Because your salvation, the cornerstone is set and you're you're secure in anything that you would do. The third thing are the saints. Now, listen, if you're a Bible student, I want you to think about this one because you might not have heard this before. If I asked you to give me the definition of a saint, you would probably tell me it was somebody who had accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But in the Scriptures, if you study the Scriptures, what you're going to find is that the saints are actually Israelites who have received Christ or Messianic Jews. Okay? Now, the reason why you know that is because he says here in the scripture, he says um, uh, in, um, in verse number 20, he says, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus, or Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together joins to a holy temple. Uh, verse number 19, he says, but, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. So he doesn't say that Gentiles have become saints. He says that you're fellow fellow citizens with the saints. The saints are always talking about those Jews who have received Christ. I'm telling you what, this is I'm, I'm rabbit trailing for just a second. Bible students, you need to look at that. Because some of you guys are struggling with the, the predestination. You're struggling with some of those things. When you look at the saints and you understand that he's talking about Jerusalem and the Jews, it's going to clear all that up for you. All right, that was a freebie. Okay? The last thing that he says here are the fellow citizens. You see, here's the blessing. Is that God says it was never about Jewish. It was never about becoming a Jew. It was never about becoming an Israelite. It was always about coming to me and letting God be everything in your life. Listen, it's not about Reliant. It's about what Reliant can offer. It's about the blessing that we can give. It's about the fact that the peace of God is for everybody. God forbid that we would be like other churches around here who say, you know what, we don't want those kinds of people here. Yes, we do. You say, well, you don't understand their struggle. Listen, I probably do understand their struggle, and I want them here because I know that we have the answer. We have Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been far off from God. And you've been thinking, you know what? Maybe I'm just not one of the chosen. Maybe I'm just not one of those people who get God like everybody else gets. Listen, can I clear something up for you? The peace of God that comes through Jesus Christ, who is Christ, He died for you. 
As much as he died for me, he died for you. You say, you, but you don't know my depth. You don't know how far I am away from God. I can't even see God. Like, I look in the distance, I can't even see him afar off. I'm telling you right now, God is closer than you think. He wants your soul. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be in you and be that living water, that peace of God that flows from inside so that no matter what the circumstances are on the outside, God is with you. If you're far off from God this morning, you don't have to be. Let me, let me do this. I want to invite you to become a fellow citizen of the household of God. Look at this last verse. I love this. It says, in him, you also are building together, are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Here's what God says. I'm going to take my cornerstone, Jesus. I'm going to set the house. And I'm going to build on that the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Then I'm going to invite Israel and the saints, right? I'm going to invite them into the house. And then we're going to invite the entire world. And we're going to have all the fellow citizens come in. And they're going to make, listen to me, they're going to make a living house that I, myself, God says, I'm going to dwell in that house. Living stones. You know, one of Ray's favorite passages is, is with the, the passage in Peter that talks about the precious stones. He and I talk about that all the time. Listen, that's what you are in the house of God. You're a living stone. God says, I'm going to take you. I'm going to fitly frame you together. I'm going to make for myself a habitation. And I'm going to dwell in you. I'm going to be with my people. Listen, do you realize that when we come here on Sunday morning, that God says where two or three are gathered in the midst, there I am. I'm with you. Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that when the people congregate together and we sing unto the Father, that Jesus Christ himself sings unto the Father. You know what that means? That means Jesus says, I'm going to use your mouth to be the mouthpiece for me as I sing to my Father. I think sometimes we just don't get it. We don't understand the house of peace that we live in and that God has decided to build. Are you a fellow citizen of the household of the saints? Listen, I'd like for everybody to just bow your head for a moment. I want you to think about this. And here, here's what I want you to think about. Do you have the God of peace in your life? Listen, maybe you're one of those individuals that you've been looking at everybody else and and they seem to get peace and have peace no matter what the circumstances, no matter what happens. Maybe you think that you're too far from God. But listen, I'm telling you, you can have that peace. You're never outside the reach of the cross of Christ.